Coming to you from North Central Ohio, we share with you the voice of the Nazarene, a week-by-week venture into the Word of God sponsored by the Bucyrus, Ohio Church of the Nazarene. We join our pastor, Reverend Ray LaSalle, and the voice of the Nazarene. Good morning. Join me in Luke chapter 15, if you'd be so kind. And I want to begin reading in the 11th verse, the lost and found department of the Bible. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion that falleth to me. And he divided unto them. Did you catch that, them? Always thought he divided just and gave to his prodigal, but he gave to his two sons. Not just the younger, but the older. Divided unto them his living, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with the riotous living. When he spent all, there rose a mighty famine in that land. He began to be in want, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hard servants of my father's have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son, make me. Now earlier on he had said, give me. But boy, has his attitude changed. Now he said, make me. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose, came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and, and kissed him. Now through the years I found that parents have two basic questions if they have a prodigal child. Question number one, what did I do wrong? And question number two, what do I do now? What did I do wrong and what do I do now? And I want to say early on, there are all kinds of prodigals. There's the good moral ones that uh, just have no spiritual interest in God. There's those who are incarcerated for serious felonies. There are those who are addicted to all kinds of things. There are others just living their own happy life, doing their thing. And as I've studied and prayed, a lot of scriptures and thoughts have begun to come into focus. I've thought quite a bit about this before sharing it today. I'm not trying to put a heavy trip on anyone. Maybe the message doesn't affect everybody here. And yet in some sense, all truth affects us, does it not? Now here in Luke 15 is the story of the wayward prodigal son. And I'd like to share with you six principles for getting your son or your daughter back to God. Principle number one, you can start practicing right today. And that that is you need to learn how to live a guilt-free in your Christian life. 
Now, what people are saying when, what did I do wrong? They're simply saying, I, I feel guilty. I feel like I've failed as a parent. And apparently, I've made some wrong decisions that affected my children in a rather negative sort of a way. And so, their waywardness is my fault, and I, I feel guilty. And if you're sitting here today, and you're listening to the message, and you've got a wayward child, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now, okay? So here's what you do. You go back to the very moment when they were born, and you take it all the way down to this very moment, and you begin to sort through and begin to analyze all the various happenings of where you failed your son or your daughter and why you feel guilty. You're searching for reasons for their sinfulness, and you find yourself thinking, man, I wish I'd have put them in a different school. I wish maybe I'd have pulled them out and put them over here. Maybe if I'd have taken that job and had moved elsewhere, if we'd spent more time and we'd have kept our kids from running with those certain kids. Maybe, maybe we should have monitored the computer a whole lot more. Maybe I gave in and gave them a cell phone and maybe I bought the car a little bit too early on. And we're sorting through all of these things. We spend our time analyzing every single thing that happened and hope that somewhere along the way we can find the reason you failed as a parent. Well, I'm going to answer your question for you once and for all what you did wrong. And uh, the answer is probably going to surprise you. Done my research, I think I can answer it authoritatively. And I'm going to answer it just in a moment. But first, let me ask you why do you, as a parent, feel guilty for your children's decisions when they're an adult? They're an adult. They're going to make your decisions. They're probably not going to call you on the phone about it either. I think it's for two reasons. Number one, this isn't number one, but first of all, may I say that all of us came into this world and at some point we came short of the glory of God. The Bible said we did. We were born as sinners. And... Uh, we were born with a bent towards sin. Every one of us had that something in us that causes us to want to walk away from God. And so along comes our children. And it's only natural that they too are born with this something inside that's natural and want to do their own thing and to go their own way and to make their own poor choices. And it doesn't include God. It leaves God out. So here's the real question. If you've got a prodigal child and you've got two or three others that are not, that's the miracle, that all of them are not living as prodigals. Because the natural instinct of the human heart is to leave God out and to do our own thing. So the prodigal's just doing what's natural for them to do. Now, here's another reason for your guilt. It comes with a misunderstanding of a passage of Scripture that Everybody seems to know, and they can kind of quote it. They don't know where in the world it's found. It is in the Bible. And uh, that's that scripture that 
If you train up a child in the way it should go, when it's old, it shall not depart from it. And trust me, it's in the Bible, Proverbs 22, 6. Don't have to look it up. Trust me on it. But you cannot find three competent Greek scholars, or Hebrew scholars, rather, that are agreed that that's talking about parental skills. In reading the context of it, the Hebrew scholars say it's talking about finding what really interests your kid, whether it's mechanics or music or our electronics or whatever it is, my brother, my brother did not go past the eighth grade. He finally gave up in despair and signed up and went off to the military in disgrace. Most amazing thing, when he got into the electronic field and took an exam, he rated higher than anybody had ever rated in the United States. And the very thing he liked was what he got a lot of whippings for, bringing home junk that he found along the side of the road, and he would work on all these little things, making crystal sets, and since he failed in his grades, he got some, a lot of spankings. We, my brother could relive his life not getting that. Nobody spent any time trying to find out what he was good at. And if you've got a kid that's got, got interest in music and, and you just find that's where they're gifted and, and you get them a special teacher and, and they get to enjoy that all of their life, but you cannot find any competent Hebrew scholar that'll state that that scripture has anything to do with parental skills. And yet we feel guilty. So let me once and for all answer the question for you if you have a prodigal son. What did you do wrong? Well, in my research, I can tell you this. You probably didn't do anything wrong. You may, may have made every right decision and still they chose to go the prodigal route and walk away. Now, I know there are people that will come up after service. I've been doing this for a long time, this preaching thing, and want to debate me. And that's all right. That's what I'm good for. So bring it on, and, and I'll bring on the rest of my staff, and I'll go home while they answer. <laughs> and generally, somebody will come up and say, well, preacher, you know, I believe if you do all the right things, they're going to turn out right. Yeah, and generally, it's people who've never had children. And I, I, I just believe if you do it all right, why, they're going to turn out all right. And I, I will look at them just as I'm looking at you right now. And I will say, so you believe that if you do all the right thing, it guarantees you that your kid's going to turn out all right. I want to ask you a question. Why is it then, what did God do wrong that his two children, Adam and Eve, didn't turn out so good? Perfect kids, perfect environment, perfect father. And you got imperfect kids in an imperfect world with a imperfect parents. And yet you think that you can do a whole lot better than God can do. We forget something called choice, don't we? And then the devil comes along and starts telling you it's your fault, you're to blame, and you feel guilty. And Next thing you know, you, you just want to give up. You don't want to try to sing in the choir. And you, you don't want to be a greeter. You don't want to serve on the board. You don't want to teach a class. Why? Why even go to church? And we get down on ourselves. And let me tell you something. 
When you feel guilty, it allows your prodigal to manipulate you. You'll be trying to buy them off, and you'll be trying to do extra little things, and you make it easy for them to do the wrong thing. May I just say this? When the Holy Spirit shows you what you did wrong, assume you didn't do anything wrong and live in victory. And when you learn how to live guilt-free, then you're in a position to help the prodigal and not hurt and hinder them. That brings me to a second principle. Uh, there are people who will say, well, but I know I did wrong and I know I said something wrong. Okay, I'll go along with it, no problem. Point number two, principle number two. In that case, you need to ask for their forgiveness. Go to the prodigal and say, this is what I've done and I know I was wrong and I know it sent you down a bad trail. And I could go begin to enumerate some of those things, but I'll bring more guilt to this service than I'm wanting to bring this morning. And ask them, will you forgive me? And I need to tell you in my research, they'll not always forgive you. So be prepared to accept some rejection. But when you do that, you remove the barrier from their excuses. And they can no longer blame you because you've acknowledged the wrong and you've asked them to forgive you when God revealed it to you. Here's the third principle. You also have to love your child unconditionally. Well, I do. Can I challenge that? Hello? Well, do you happen to have a child you hope the pastor never finds out about? Do you, uh, do you have a child and you find yourself thinking at night, I wish they'd have never been born? I'm totally frustrated. I just wish I could throw up my hands and they'd disappear. You ever find yourself thinking as you look at other kids and they've turned out so well, I wish they were mine, I'd be proud of them. Well, those thoughts prove sometimes that we don't have unconditional love. Now follow me. Unconditional love is not based on performance. Unconditional love is based on who you are. So it doesn't matter if your child's the best in town or the worst in town. You love them the same. Because love cannot be conditional and be impactful. Unconditional love says no matter what you do, I love you the same. And as a parent, let me help you. You have to set your unconditional love at so your response will be right when it happens because if you don't it'll make mistakes can I just give you an illustration maybe two illustrations real quick like sort of quick there were two fathers each one had a daughter the one man was in a church and he was highly respected in that church he served in about every capacity you could serve as a layman sang in the choir, taught Sunday school class, had been on the board. I mean, he was well thought of. And his daughter came home and she said, Dad, I'm going to tell you something that Mom won't tell you. You need to know that I'm, I'm pregnant. Of course, she was unwed. And he said, what? How in the world did this happen? How could you do that to me? You know my reputation. You know the family reputation. What in the world? You've disgraced us. You've, and in his anger, busted a hole through the coffee table. 
And his anger said, you do that to us, knowing that we put money into you, love, time, affection into you, and then to turn around and do us this way. I want you to go straight to your room, get everything you've got, and get out of my house. And don't ever come back. I don't ever want to see you again. I never want to see the child. As far as I'm concerned, you and the child don't exist. You're both dead to me. And then he bragged about it. How he had taken a strong stand and he had stood against sin and, and he went on and on about it. About two months later, at the same church, Sunday night, the pastor walked up to the pulpit. They could tell that something was bothering him. The whole crowd sensed it. And he broke down and began to weep. And over on the pew, his wife began to sob. He said, I need to tell you folks something. You're going to find it out anyway. And I, I'd rather you hear it from me than someone else. But we just found out this week that my, my daughter, who's not married, is pregnant. We've cried a lot. We're ashamed. We're embarrassed, but I need to tell the congregation I still love my daughter. And we've told our daughter that we're going to help her somehow to get through this. And if necessary, we will even help raise that daughter, that child rather. She doesn't have to give it away. She doesn't have to leave town. We love her. Now we're embarrassed. This isn't what we'd planned. But we're going to stand behind her and... If you feel like I need to step down as pastor, I'm willing to do that. I'll, I'll do whatever that I, we need to do. And then he walked off the platform and he walked back to his daughter and stood in front of her and said, I want you to know that we love you. <clears throat> I'd like to ask you a question. Which one of those two daughters do you think are in church today? and serving God. It was the one that had unconditional love. You say, well, pastor, it sounds like you're kind of approving sin. <laughs> well, did God approve your sin when he showed you unconditional love? We're not approving sin. We're not affirming sin. We're not endorsing sin, but unconditional love says, I love you for who you are, not for what you do or what you've done. And with that said, let me hasten to a fourth principle. And this is where people get confused. They think that unconditional love means that every time my child has a problem, I rescue them. The opposite is what's true. For number four, you must let sin run its course. You must let them face the consequences of their decisions. Unconditional love says, I love you so much, I'm not going to get you out of jail again. You made a choice. You made a decision. Unconditional love says, I'm not going to pay your gambling debts anymore. Unconditional love says, all right, if that's the way you want to go, we're not handing you any money to buy drugs on. You, you say you're wanting money for this, you want it for that, but we know it's for drink and other things, and we're not going to do that anymore. You're going to have to face 
the consequences of your decision. Now, I want to go back to the story of the prodigal. The father could have sent one of his servants down there with a whole lot of money and just bought everybody off. Father could have sent some soup and sandwiches to, to his boy. He might have got him out of the pig pen, but he wouldn't have come home and wouldn't have got the pig pen out of him. The father had enough wisdom to let his son face the consequences of his choice so that conviction would come and he would come to himself and back to the heavenly father. So let me tell you, you love unconditionally. Love may allow you to visit that child in the jail, but it doesn't get them out of jail. And I believe that we ought to extend grace to our kids when they fail for that first time and they have learned a lesson. But when it's repeated behavior over and over, sometimes it means tough love. When you signed up to be a parent, remember that paper you signed? Boy, you signed up for a tough task. Trust me. Because if you keep rescuing them, they'll wind up somewhere in prison or in another hospital. So with that said, let me give you another principle. You must also guard your words. Watch what you say. I think one prodigal expressed it the best to me when he said, my mama, she's crazy. I don't get my mama. Mama comes home from church and she said, that's the sorriest preacher I've ever heard. And I don't like the music the church uses either. And I don't have much confidence in some of the people in the Sunday school. There's a lot of hypocrites in our church. And then a week passes and she's shocked when I don't want to go to church with her. Better watch your words. I've had kids revolt from me like that when their parents had turned against me. And I knew a lot of things had been said and I knew I'd never be their pastor again. And they had no reason to feel that way. Loose talk. You think about it, sometimes we take all of our feelings and our problems and the devil magnifies them in the ears of our prodigals when we are critical. And sometimes when I've talked to prodigals and they say, well, the church is just full of hypocrites, I get to wondering where they got all their information because the only one between them and the church was parents. And what we're doing, we're tearing down all the people around the prodigal, the very ones that might, God might be using to get them into the kingdom and verbally we destroyed them. Guard your words. And then principle number six, boy, I wish I'd started with this one. I've been having coffee right now back in my office. <laughs> you must also pray for, the, for your prodigal. Well, I do. Well, let me, let me help you with that. When I did my research on those that came back from having been a prodigal, Number one, God used a friend. When mom and dad couldn't reach him and the crowd that they'd grown up with couldn't reach him, God sent someone else into their life that was a Christian and began to nudge them towards the kingdom. And you had to sit back and all you could do was weep and pray, God, God, use someone else. Since, and I'll try to reach somebody else's kids that their dad can't reach, but I'll 
but send somebody to my boy or my girl. Maybe someone that coached softball with him. It may be a co-worker. It might be a next-door neighbor. It might be someone on a school committee. But it's someone that steps into their life and a friendship is formed of a person that has a heart for God. And through that friendship, they're nudged toward the kingdom. So when you pray, pray. Bring into the life of my prodigal someone with a heart for you. Now, my next thought's a tough thought. I'd like to leave it out. And I'd like to end on about anything but this. But i got to be real honest with you. I've discovered that often the sickness and the death of a parent or our grandparent is the thing that gets the attention of the hardened prodigal. So the next time you pray, Lord, I want you to do whatever it takes, by whatever means, if it means me getting sick and even my death, to bring him into the kingdom. Well, I want to pray, Lord, change the prodigal, yes, but God's saying I need to change you. Whatever it takes, do what's necessary. Because the prodigal chose to walk away, only the prodigal can choose to return. And what I've talked about to you today is removing all the barriers so that you're in a position of strength, so that when the prodigal comes to themselves, and all prodigals seem like they eventually do, they know that they can return home. In many cases to their earthly home. But the main return is back to the heavenly father. No barriers. So if it's sickness or death, whatever, you say, but I want to be around to see him get in. Wouldn't it be something, even if it's second best? Wouldn't it be something to be walking the streets of heaven and look up and see the son of man step over and said, by the way, I want you to know, you remember that prodigal that broke your heart? Remember that daughter or that son that grieved your heart through those years and grayed your hair and broke you financially? And you died hoping they'd get in and they didn't. I want you to know I've got good news. Your boy, your girl just got into the kingdom. And your prayer's been answered. And your tears have been poured out on the altar. You see, prodigals can come home if we're willing to say whatever it takes I'm willing to do. Bow your heads with me for a moment. Thanks for being a part of the Voice of the Nazarene. Visit us every Sunday at 9 a.m. with BNC's pastor, Ray LaSalle. For more information regarding BNC, visit BusirisNazarene.org. 